The Daily Rios, episode 407. Timeline Tuesday for the month of September. Who are you? I am vengeance. I am the Spectre. This is impossible! In the land beyond the living, all things are possible. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. Here to drop some comic book history once again, comic book anniversaries, first appearances, etc. for this month of September. This time around, we're going back 10 years, 25 years, 50 years, and 75 years. And remember, these are actual ship dates, or, you know, as close as I can get them, uh, not cover dates. So if my research is solid, we are pretty much going to reflect anything that has come out in the month of September, give or take a few weeks, right? All right, so we start 10 years ago, September 2007. Amazing Spider-Man 544, the mega controversial one more day story arc begins. There are people to this day that are still not over uh, this story. Some say it was uh, just the right story injection that the character and Spider-Man's universe needed. Some say it's the, it's the story that ruined the character for them forever. And wherever you fall on that spectrum, there definitely is pre-One More Day Spider-Man and post-One More Day Spider-Man in terms of how Marvel handled the character, how Marvel handled his continuity, and um, how Marvel handles retcons in general. It, it was to the point at the time that people were burning their copies and posting that video on YouTube, especially by the time the storyline wrapped up. Um, I read it, obviously. we I think we actually read it for uh, CGS back then. The writers, J. Michael Straczynski, penciler Joe Casada, inker Danny Miki, colorist Richard Eisenhoff, letterers Chris Iliopoulos, and uh, One More Day started in Amazing Spider-Man 544. It would continue into Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man 24, the Sensational Spider-Man 41, and then it would conclude about, well, there was some delay, so I, I don't know if it was once a month or um, I'm not exactly sure when the finale actually dropped, but it dropped in Amazing Spider-Man 545. So the story is in the previous Amazing Spider-Man issue or story, Aunt May had been shot, so Spider-Man was trying to save her life, and uh, eventually it winds up that Mephisto gets wrapped up into it. And in order to save uh, Aunt May, he wants Spider-Man or Peter Parker and Mary Jane's marriage. And because of that, things get retconned. Uh, Peter Parker revealing his identity in Civil War gets changed. They never got married, and there was a whole bunch of other things, all of it leading to Brand New Day. So 10 years ago, the first part of One More Day began, and uh, it would be kind of interesting to go back and listen to podcasts at that time, because think about it, 2007, you know, comic book podcasting was all over. It would, I, I would love to go back and just hear what people had to say uh, about that story and to see if they're reading Spider-Man to this day or not. Also 10 years ago, 
Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite number one of six hit the stands. This was created and written by Gerard Way and illustrated by Gabrielle Ba for Dark Horse. And it was the first six-issue limited series. It would eventually be followed up by the Umbrella Academy Dallas. Apparently, there's another Umbrella Academy um, series in the works called Hotel Oblivion. And there's a TV show as well. Whether that actually makes it, who knows. But uh, it initially takes place in an alternate history where JFK was never assassinated and it features uh, characters such as Space Boy and the Kraken and the Rumor and the Seance. Um, and all of it was meant to be, I guess they were all these infants that were born at the same time and they all had powers. Um, it was a fascinating read. I know at the time it was this big push because it was um, Gerard Way who, you know, Let's face it, he was a megastar with My Chemical Romance, and he was coming into comics, and everybody was so excited, but there were a lot of skeptics, because anytime you get a songwriter, a wrestler, uh, even TV people, movie people, you get them to write comics, they're here for about two seconds, and then they leave, or the work that they put out is, you know, not that great. So this one, though, man, it was so good. It was so, so good. And um, I had the fortunate chance to interview Gerard Way one time. He is a huge comic book nerd. In fact, he went to school for comics or graphic art. And, you know, along the way, just happened to become a mega superstar, a mega music superstar. So comics are very much a part of, you know, his, his roots. So to have a book like this that took a lot of people by surprise was really great. So 10 years ago, Umbrella Academy... Uh, number one, hit the stands. Also 10 years ago, Mice Templar number one, created by Brian J.L. Glass and Michael Avon Oming, published by Image Comics. It's an anthropomorphic fantasy tale. Think Mouse Guard, think Redwall, think Watership Down. Um, I read a few issues at the time, never went back to it. I, I really should, but 10 years ago, Mice Templar celebrating its anniversary for the month of September. All right, a few other odds and ends for September. We have the Green Hour Black Canary Wedding Special and also the Justice League Wedding Special. Obviously, there was a push for these characters to get married. Spinning out of 52, we had Infinity Inc. number one, lasted all of 12 issues by Peter Milligan, um, featuring Natasha Irons and Steel and the, the Everyman Project, by Lex Luthor from, as I said, the 52 Weekly series. So it was kind of nice that they tried to get that concept back again, but as I said, it only lasted 12 issues. Dwayne McDuffie began his run on Justice League of America with issue 13, and uh, that featured a battle with the Injustice League, and Marvel was trying once again to bring about Marvel Comics Presents. The first issue hit 10 years ago. It only lasted 12 issues, but I can remember the standout story being a Patsy Walker Hellcat story um, by Catherine and Stuart Immonen. So there you go. Comic book anniversaries for 10 years ago. Let's switch to comic book anniversaries for 25 years ago, September of 1992. And here's a big one, Spider-Man 2099. In fact, the entire Marvel Universe 2099 uh, line of comics began 
We had Spider-Man 2099, the first issue hitting 25 years ago. And then you would get Ravage 2099, Doom 2099, Punisher 2099, and then eventually, what were the other ones? X-Men 2099, and uh, um, I'm forgetting some of the other titles. I'm fairly certain that I still have that first issue in my collection. Not entirely sure why I never just sold it off um, as a bonus with some other Spider-Man comics that I might have sold throughout the years. But um, Spider-Man 2099 features the character of Miguel, Miguel O'Hara, who was a Latino, but also, I think, Irish as well. <laughs> and he was created by Peter David and Rick Leonardi. And if you think about Marvel's, um, whenever they do like a, a an imprint, like New Universe, right? Um, tw- the 2099 stuff, well, I mean, we have a Spider-Man 2099 title to this day. Um, and I think it was an interesting concept. Uh, it, it played a little, you know, like when they did Amalgam or whenever they do, or, or like, um, Tangent Comics for DC, whenever they repurpose their characters or at least the character names, sometimes it can get a little out there and suddenly they want to do everything. Moon Knight 2099, Ghost Rider 2099, Hulk 2099, 2099. And I guess it makes sense, but of all the titles, it's probably safe to say that Spider-Man 2099 was the standout, and as I said, it's about Miguel O'Hara, who is a geneticist living in New York, who's trying to recreate the abilities of the original Spider-Man, and then winds up with um, the powers himself. Um, He had, the way he would walk on walls, um, there were like these little super strong fibers that came out of his fingers and toes. I think they did a close-up in the first issue where they looked like little, um, almost like little razor legs, right, that came out of his fingertips and toes, and that's how he could cling to things. So I think that was a concept that they used for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man universe uh, too, I think that happened there where there was like a close-up of his fingers and and that's how he stuck to the walls. I think Marvel has been trying to trade that original run. As I said, I've never read it. You know, I'm sure it's somewhere on my list of, hey, I I would like to read that someday, but probably way, 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 way down. All right, also 25 years ago, uh, starting in the month of of September, Executioner's Song, the big X-Men crossover, Uh, started in Uncanny X-Men 294 and would connect with um, X-Men, X-Factor, and X-Force, and it featured Cable and Strife and Apocalypse and, of course, uh, the X-Men. And it all kicks off when Professor Xavier is shot during a concert by someone who looks like Cable, but it actually turned out to be Strife. And he's infected with the techno-organic virus. So this storyline ran, oh, I don't know, 12 chapters, maybe more. They were all polybagged with special little trading cards that I think I still have a few floating around somewhere. Um, I think we were supposed to get the truth behind Cable and why Strife looks like Cable or maybe some origin stories, but that never played out. And then we were supposed to find out, um, was Cable 
the son of Scott Summers, Nathan Christopher Summers. Um, and I, I'm not sure if that was cemented during this story arc either. But in any event, 25 years ago, the Executioner song, um, you know, I was hooked. I was hooked when they even did the whole Mutant Genesis thing with Jim Lee and um, Will Spartacio on Uncanny. I mean, I was reading a lot of these books, Rob Liefeld's X-Force. So to just to get this crossover, it was a no-brainer. Also 25 years ago, one of my favorite DC uh, concepts, um, the series was okay, but the concept I really like. Um, we have Dark Stars number one, created by Michael Jan Friedman and Mike Collins. Dark Stars ran about 39 issues um, because it ended with issue 38, but then there was a zero issue as well. And the Dark Stars were uh, kind of like a companion to the Green Lantern Corps. So the Green Lantern Corps was created by the Guardians of the Universe, Universe, but the Dark Stars were created by the Controllers, who were an offshoot race of the Guardians of the Universe. And you had characters like Farron Kalos, and then eventually John Stewart would become a Dark Star. Donna Troy would become a Dark Star. I think even Charlie Vickers, an old um, Silver Age Green Lantern, uh, a human Green Lantern, I think that's his name, Charlie Vickers. He became a Dark Star at some point, if I'm remembering right. There was just something about this series and the concept that I, I just dug. It was DC trying to do something cosmic, trying to do something different than the Green Lantern Corps. And there was obviously some animosity between the Dark Stars and Green Lantern and also the Legion, right? The, the Legion, that's an acronym. Um, they even shared a story arc crossover called Trinity. Um, yeah, I dug, I dug the Dark Stars concept and they popped up here and there in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, but it's never the same. Um, this is also the series that gave us, uh, Travis Charest on a bunch of covers. Now he had been around for a while, but it was just really great to see him on the covers and then also on some interiors too. So Dark Stars, Dark Stars, number one, 25 years ago, also 25 years ago, Ganthet's Tale by Larry Niven, yes, that Larry Niven, and John Byrne, featuring the first appearance of the Guardians of the Universe uh, member known as Ganthet, obviously. And it was this whole thing wrapped up in the origins of the universe. So um, if you're reading your Dark Knight's Metal and you're listening to the breakdowns that I'm doing, I talk about Krona and how he's very responsible um, in the DC universe for creating the multiverse and creating the antimatter universe. So Krona is, he wasn't a guardian of the universe, but he was part of their race. Um, they were originally called Owens, but then also they were, before that, they were called Maltusans. So his experiment is the central theme to the Ganthet's Tale one-shot. It was a prestige format one-shot. And what this story does is it kind of puts a twist on exactly what happened with Krona's experiment. And uh, that's about as far as I go, because I think you want to read it. It was interesting. There was some nice cosmic stuff going on. The story features Hal Jordan, as I said, the first appearance of Ganthet. And Ganthet would become a regular member of the Green Lantern universe. He's the one who gave Kyle Rayner his ring. And as far as I know, he's still in play to this day. Some other standouts for 25 years ago, Batman Adventures number one, 
which was tied to the animated series, obviously, by Kelly Puckett and Ty Templeton and Rick Burchett. It lasted 36 issues and some annuals. From Valiant, Hardcore Number 1, uh, by David Michelini and David Laffin. Uh, there was that Jim Lee cover with Bob Layton on inks that I always remember. So Hardcore Number 1 began 25 years ago. From Marvel, we had Night Stalkers Number 1 that lasted 18 issues, part of the Midnight Suns stuff. Slapstick Number 1, part of a four-issue miniseries. And then there was a one-shot called Soviet Super Soldiers. And then spinning out of the Eclipso Darkness Within event at DC, we got Eclipso Number 1 that ran for 18 issues and Valor Number 1 that ran for 23 issues uh, featuring Monel. And now we get to 50 years ago, September of 1967. Spectre Number 1 of a 10-issue series. This wasn't his first appearance, but it was the first time that he received his own series. And the first issue was by Gardner Fox and Murphy Anderson. We got some notable Neil Adams work on issues two through five. And uh, it only lasted, as I said, ten issues. But um, pretty important for that character who has been around since the Golden Age. Flash 174 by John Broom and Carmine Infantino is the Flash issue where he reveals himself to Iris, but she already knew. And it's a pretty popular cover. It's the cover where the Flash logo is kind of elongated and Flash is lying on his back at the bottom of the cover and then his major villains are all kind of hanging out on the Flash logo. So you got Captain Boomerang, Mirror Master, The Top, Weather Wizard, Captain Cold, and Heat Wave. So a fairly, um, not iconic cover, but it used to be well-known, so... And then over in Aquaman 36, we had the first appearance of the walrus known as Tusky. And now we jump to 75 years ago, September of 1942. Just a fun, quirky appearance here because in Police Comics 13 from Quality, the publisher known as, known as Quality, we get the first appearance of Woozy Winks in the Plastic Man universe, created by Jack Cole. And apparently his real name is Wolfgang Winks. So if you remember the TV cartoon show um, and that guy in the Hawaiian shirt, that's what this... Um, I think the guy was actually Hawaiian in the TV show, in the cartoon show. Um, but that's what he's based on. He's based on this character of Woozy Winks. Uh, Green Lantern had a character sort of like this. His name was Doiby Dickles. Um, the Golden Age, Age Flash had three characters that were bumbling idiots, and they were based off the Stooges, and I can't remember their names. So, Woozy Winks, part of the Plastic Man universe, celebrating 75 years this month. All right, that's it. Nice and short and sweet for this Timeline Tuesday for the month of September. If you know of anything that I missed, please let me know. You can send me an email, peter at com, or leave a comment on the website at thedailyrios.com. Remember, you can subscribe through iTunes, but you can also subscribe now through Google Play and through Stitcher. And by all means, feel free to leave a review at any of those places. I would greatly appreciate that. All right, that's it for Timeline Tuesday for this month. I will do the same for October when October rolls around. This has been the Daily Rios episode 407. Talk to you soon.